Hey everyone, I wanted to cut in here before the show and share with you our new clarity tool. Now, this is a four question framework to help you jumpstart your journey to excellence. We understand that there's never truly a destination on your journey of excellence, but instead you are focused on continual and never ending improvement in all five pillars of excellence. But how do you go on a journey to excellence when you don't have a clear picture of where to start? Well, we created this tool exclusively for Unlock Your Excellence podcast listeners, and we'll be launching a free bi-weekly mini mastermind where we will dive deep into this four-part framework. You can feel free to download the Clarity tool and go through it on your own or join one of our mini masterminds and dive deep with other high-performing individuals on a common pursuit of excellence in their life. Visit UYEClarityTool.com to pick up your free Clarity Tool today and register for our next upcoming mini mastermind. That's UYEClarityTool.com. We'll see you there. One of the greatest lessons I've had to learn in life is... Don't think you have to come up with something totally original and new. Mm. You, you and I could have the exact same podcast, the same topics, the same questions, the same everything. We interview the same guests. There's going to be a wildly different experience, interaction, and perspective and interpretation from all of that because yeah. of how you see the world the experiences you've been through your you know uh, relationship with different topics that it just i think that was one of the greatest lessons that i've learning because i i can't say i've learned it because it's a constant learning is don't see you know for example i i can't look at mike and say oh mike's doing xyz well, I can't do that. I have to go do something completely different. And instead it's like, Mike's doing X, Y, Z. Man, that's awesome. I really like that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go try to do it too. And then it's kind of like this idea of a river, you know, going down a mountain, right? The water stops, the water bead starts at the top. It falls on the top and say it gets split in two. They're the same water droplet that fell from the sky. And they're going to take two dramatically different paths down that mountain, wherever they end up. And that's our world. And so getting hung up in the idea of, um, oh, if someone else is doing this, oh, I, I, I can't do that because then I'd be copying. That is, I think, one of the greatest lies that we tell ourselves and allow ourselves to compare um, and instead realize, oh, that's a great idea. Dude, I'm going to run with that. Yeah. Why not? On the flip side of the compare, like copying thing, it's almost, it's proof of concept, right? Like I've had to, yeah. there's, there, even in our business in the real estate, you know, direct to seller model um, to buy single family houses, there's certain marketing, like we just started doing TV and mm -hmm. there's another, I guess you'd call them a competitor in our market that does TV and has been for three years and nobody else has done TV. I could look at that and say, hey. I don't want to do TV, I should do something else. So I could say, wow, they're having a lot of success in TV. So let's see if like the pie is there, right? Like let's get some of that yeah. pie. And we're just in exactly that. We're a different, we're a little bit different niche. We're not the same company. 
It's like, why is there Coke and Pepsi? Why is there DraftKings and FanDuel, right? It's like you could argue that like if there's a pioneer in one one space, you should create a secondary competitor because it might yeah. make them better too. You know what I mean? Oh, I and, mean and entirely. The whole industry rises because of the competition between the two of you or three or whatever. Yeah, and it's possible. You know, I think it it again is a maturity that comes in life if we allow ourselves that the only race that we're running is our own. Yeah. If we're trying to run someone else's race, we're always going to lose. Always. Hmm. Always. Now, it could be a situation where like, oh, Mike, he ran a 5K. That sounds like a great idea. I'm going to go run a 5K. Do I care what your time is? Maybe because we're friends and I'm like, I want to one-up you because competitive, but it doesn't matter. Like it, it really doesn't. If, if you run in a, you know, a 1637 because you're fast and I come in a 2637, but you know, that's the best I've ever run. Great. It mm. doesn't matter. I just went and ran. It's okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think it's a good, like, let's officially start now. If you're tuned in, <laughs> welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another uh, episode of the Unlock Your Excellence podcast. If you're tuned in, wondering who this handsome gentleman that I'm speaking with that's uh, spewing all this wisdom, uh, this is my good buddy, Tyler Dickerhoof, and a fellow front row dad. Uh, that's kind of where we first cross paths um, and host of the Impact Driven Leader podcast, uh, dad, husband, and um, man, just admittedly a guy probably that I don't get enough or do a good enough job staying in touch with. And I need to be better at that because every time I just hit record here man, all of a sudden three minutes into this thing, I'm already learning from you, man. So uh, you make me better. You are impacting a lot of people through your companies. And I'm super excited to have you here, like beyond excited for you to be one of my early guests to kick this thing off. So I know that we're going to have a good chat today. Already started. It already started. Yeah. But welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it, it's fun to think about, you know, we've never met in person. Right. But I know this is if you were in Spokane, where I live, there's a room for you. And I would, you know, probably guess similar. Uh, and that's just based upon conversations like we're, we're starting to have here, have here. Uh, we were, I don't want to say it was early because it was late, but it was early in the days of Clubhouse during the yes, pandemic. Sir. And um, had so much great time building relationships there and a lot of great relationships I built from that to where it did feel like we're, you know, sitting down having coffee every day together. Um, so I appreciate that. I appreciate, you know, your words. Uh, I, I would say one thing, and this is um, me acknowledging it, um, whether I'm a good husband or dad or not, um, you know, it depends on the day what my husband, my, my wife and kids would say, but um, I know that those need to be a priority in my life. Mm. And those being in a priority in my life, at the end of the day, I can say, um, if I screwed that up and had, you know, the best podcast interviews and the best, you know, you know, different business entities, you know, experiences during the day, but I'm fighting with my wife and kids, that was a bad day. Yeah. And um, that's something that um, I have those bad days. I still have those bad days, but it's not because, yeah, I don't care. It's those are more important than the other stuff. Yeah, man. And that's, I think, initially why we drive so well. We both have that common uh, that common goal in front of us, right? The family first goal. And um, yeah, I think that that is ultimately, that's what attracts me to you 
because you maybe you don't always succeed every single day. We never, none of us succeed every single day, but that's a priority for you. And, uh, it's something that I really admire about you, man. And yeah, that's a, the husband parent role can sometimes be an interesting dynamic and an ever evolving (laughs) constant battle all the time. So it's something that, uh, we're never going to have mastered. We're never going to be perfect at it, but it it makes it better every single day. I, I had a, a conversation, um, an interview for conversation, I call it. I'm a conversationalist, I realized. I'm not a speaker. I'm not a business person. I'm not. I'm just a conversationalist. I want to have conversations with people, learn and grow. So I was having a conversation yesterday, and um, it, it was about a, a book that's being released called Leveling Up by Ryan Leak. And there's there's kind of six levels that you know he talks about, and the last one is mastery. And, you know, there's kind of evolution to getting there. And and I think there's areas in life that we can say that we can master, right? There's, there's areas that we could say, oh, I mastered that. But I don't think those are areas that really are impactful. Mm. Meaning the areas that, you know, again, tying this to being a husband and a, and a father in, in those areas. There's no mastery there. Right. There, there, there's never a point where you're like, ah, man, I'm good. Got I it. got that. Yeah. Like there's nothing that's going to fall on my shoulders today that I just can't oh, be away with it. It's like, what's going to be today? And I think that that desire to, whether it's leading yourself, leading your family, leading those that you work with, just plain leading, like we're all leaders. That's my belief. We're all leaders is that in and of itself is a, um, is an enterprise is an endeavor rather, um, to work at every single day. And I believe that is the definition of mastery of working at it every day because every day you can get better at it. And that shouldn't be daunting. That should be, you know, really energizing because if that's important to you, um, if it's important for you to like, you know, you talk about real estate, it's like, man, why are you in it? And if it's like, I want to help people have great experiences in real estate transactions, then there's never a day where you're like, I'm bored with this. I'm done. Right. But if you're coming to it and it's like, well, I'm doing real estate cause it's a, it's a great way to build my portfolio and make money. At some point, you're not going to enjoy working with the people that you get to work with. And it's not have to work with, it's get to work with. And I believe that's in every single industry. And that's also in your family. So. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's that's the whole reason that Unlock Your Excellence exists. Because, you know, I, I truly believe in, not because I, we, you know, we have five pillars of excellence, right? So a spiritual practice, spiritual excellence, mental and physical health. We have a relationships, whether that's relationships with your husband, your wife, your kids, relationships with friends. I just think relationships in general, there's, there's so community and relationships are so key and then money because you know, we're businessmen, a lot of, you know, that's the whole front row dads. And I don't believe in a lot of, in any of those, to be frank, I don't believe that a hundred percent is possible to get to a hundred percent. And starting this wasn't because I think that I'm oh so great in all five areas that I can bring all this wisdom to the world. What I envision, like what I see is I'm pretty good to get to 85% in a lot of areas. I don't think 100% is possible, but I think like 
probably somewhere around 92 is is probably pretty possible right so i always look at this gap i, I came up with this where i'm always trying to go from 85 to 92 and it's a lot easier to go from zero to 85 just naturally when you have natural abilities you can actually you know i think about this even in my high school basketball career right like it was as a small school it, it didn't take me very much effort to be the best player on the team but to go from 85 to 92 that seven percent takes the rest of my life to get there and it's it's not one percent a year it's like a tenth of a percent better and then a tenth of a percent better than that and maybe you get to 87 but then but then you get to 87 and your 92 moves out farther because you're moving the goalpost right so that's right that's this bringing conversations like you where we're going to touch on leadership i agree with you wholeheartedly this is going to take me from 85 to 85 and a half right but then over time, my 92% in 10 years is probably what 100% would have been 10 years ago, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? So it's because we're always moving it down the field. So I, I love these conversations because it's just incrementally getting better and better and better. And going back to what you talked about with mastery, I always like to ask in the beginning, like, how does Tyler define excellence? Would you, would you put mastery and excellence, like those two things, a very similar um, definition or would you take that a little bit different direction? Hmm. I'd actually separate them. I, I think there's a, you know, as I, as I think about that and I try to, you know, quickly discern excellence is, you know, you can be excellent at something and not be masterful. Mm, at it. Truth. And, and I think you can be an excellent, um, you know, business provider. You can be an excellent. Um, I, I'm trying not to use it as a as a in a family sense, but you can be excellent in in the way that you do business, right? But there can still be an opportunity for you to you know achieve mastery. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm looking in the in the background there, and you have you know uh, the image of Kobe Bryant. Mm. And one of the things that I I really think in um, I think our our world was shortchanged from the um, the mastery of Kobe Bryant. Hmm. Kobe Bryant was excellent. Yeah, he had not achieved mastery. And, and I think the the difference in you know reading a little bit about Kobe and I'll be honest, not a Kobe fan. I'm not a Kobe fan for his lack of mastery as a player. He was very self-centric. Mm-hmm. You, you compare him to, you know, again, whether it's Jordan, whether it is some of the other all-time greats. And, and I think, in my opinion, the the difference between Kobe and others is Kobe was at the gym working out by himself. He was there at three in the morning. He was there. He had all the sweat going before anyone else showed up. The masters... They were never there alone because they, they understood what it meant to achieve mastery was I can't do it on my own. Hmm. And when you read a little bit of the person that Kobe became as a father, yeah, as he became after he, you know, retired from basketball and he did things in other business, that's when his mastery was developing because he realized I can do all that work man, that's not going to get me to where I want to go. 
And, and so I think that is the difference between excellence and mastery is you can be excellent on your own. I think there's a point in, in learning here myself and, and I got to remember to listen back on this and take notes that, you know, that the difference between excellence and mastery is, are you doing it on your own? Or are you aiming to bring others with you and help them achieve excellence? That was a great question, Mike. It's a great answer. I had to put my timestamp down to remember to <laughs> chop that up in a clip and we'll be putting that out on Instagram over and over. Sure. What, what are you currently pursuing excellence in? I wanted to ask that as a follow-up um, and then and dive into your story a little bit for those that maybe haven't uh, heard your story on your podcast, aren't familiar with you and yeah. uh, maybe are new to your world, but what are you currently pursuing excellence in? Um, I'm pursuing excellence in serving my family with the intention of growing myself um, and serving others to know where I'm going to be in five years. So my youngest is 13. He's a seventh grader. I have a daughter who's 16, a, a son who's 14, a son who's 13. And, you know, so many people in my life have seen, you know, much like what, you know, Front Row Dad stands for is it's, you know, family men with business instead of business, you know, men with family. And right now, an, an understanding is like the next five years, I can never replace. Mm -hmm. I, I could do, have speaking gigs. I could have, you know, trips. I could have, you know, whatever for the rest of my life. But I'm never going to have this time when my kids are in middle school and high school. Yeah. And so what I'm working at in excellence is saying, how can I continue to grow myself, setting myself up for whatever happens five years from now when my son's out of high school, my youngest, but at the same point realize that, oh, if I'm doing that and I'm actively growing through that, having conversations like this, hmm, by osmosis of a family, they're going to gain it too. And, and so that's what I'm working on. Um, and I understand that starts with me first. It's, it's making sure that I have the routines, that I have the discipline, that I have the mindset to say all those things that I just shared are a priority um, and not how can I go chase something for recognition and accolade and achievement at the expense of the relationships that are being developed that should be able to last a lifetime. Yeah. And I definitely have it on my notes here to jump into the leadership within the home and coaching. Uh, I want to dive into your story a little bit. You brought up an idea, a thought process, the accolades. You said mentioned accolades. And I remember an Ed Milet quote when he was talking, Some his dad was talking to him, I believe. And I don't know the <laughs> exact wording of the quote, but it was something to the extent of, Stop focusing on these outward accolades that your company gives you and, you know, that other people, your likes and comments on social media, because your apps, you're, you don't have any accolades at home. Focus on that being, focus on being the superstar within your four walls, you know, and so many of us are focused on how many followers we have on. So, I mean, admittedly, like I fall into this trap over and over again, right, where I come home and I'll be on my phone because I'm more, I'm more focused on the outward accolades versus being a superstar within my own four walls. And you said osmosis too. And I think that's exactly what this 
is for me, people, I've had a couple people ask me like, well, what do you get? What, what's your benefit out of this? My benefit is at the end of these conversations, if I was a cell phone battery, I go from zero to supercharged instead of supercharged to zero. Yep. And, and in, it doesn't have a direct impact on my real estate business. It doesn't have a direct impact. You know, I, I could argue it has a direct impact at home, but when I am charged up and better and, and having these conversations and rubbing shoulders with, you know, kind of just superstars like yourself and it's, it makes me better for the rest of the day. I, I perform better in my real estate business. I go home and I'm more charged up and it just all around by osmosis makes me a better person. And that's exactly, it's exactly why I decided to do this and have conversations like this. How <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how could I get paid AKA social, like social payment or actual payment for just having great conversations and it every single time it delivers. So another yeah. thank you for being here, man. Well, I mean, that's, that's quite honestly the, the way that I've looked at my own podcast and, and how it started was I was really kind of, I enjoyed having it. My wife and I had a podcast. She hated it. I love the process and really enjoyed the learning and the curiosity and the access to certain people, whether it was John Gordon to, you know, Bob Berg to, you know, Don Yeager to just people that I've gotten to know through, you know, life that are like, man, I just want to have a conversation because either their books have been very meaningful or their interaction has been meaningful. And um, so then I, when I started my podcast two years ago, it's like, I want to do something more with it because I want to be able to not just have conversations, but also, you know, learn with people. And so I had really developed a, I would say a love of reading because of growing. And so I started one book a month we feature as part of the book club. I also have a round table, a, a small group where we kind of grow in leadership together. We meet community, but I'm interviewing, you know, authors and leaders and, you know, to talk about their journey, their perspective. But I also believe that being able to utilize books as a platform to learn and kind of a curriculum to have good conversations, there's a reason why book clubs are actually effective, hmm. but where they're ineffective is when it is all about reading the book and not sharing the lessons and what's going on and building these layers of education. And to me, that's transformational. And so that's what I've tried to do because I was transformed in that process. Um, I want to hit on two things. One thing that you talked about is, you know, the, the comment from Ed Milet, um, John Maxwell um, ingrained that in my life. Hmm. You know, he said, if you, um, you know, the, the best place to be respected, the most important place to be respected, respected is those by those that love and know you the best. So if your wife, your kids, those closest to you don't respect you, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished in the world. It will never, never be enough. You will always constantly be chasing the next thing. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is why, you know, again, to front row dads, that is why businessmen chase instead of opening up themselves in their vulnerabilities because it's a lot easier. You mentioned this before we started recording. It's a lot easier to lead those that you work with 
compared to those that you you know love and are close to. And I would say the the lesson that I've had there in life and the and the great lesson I've had is that's a mindset until you have the opportunity to lead people that don't have to be there. The day that you have the opportunity to lead people that don't have to be there, meaning you lead like a volunteer organization, whether that could be a church, that could be that mm. type of community. For me, that was network marketing. And all of a sudden where you're leading people and they're like, they don't have to be led by you. They can do their own thing. And you wanna lead, you wanna learn leadership on overdrive, lead people that don't need you. Lead people that don't have to listen to you. Lead people that it's irrelevant what you do for them because they can do it on their own. And when you have the ability to impact and to lead and influence then, then all of a sudden it's leadership is just everywhere. And it's, it's when people fall into the mindset that, oh, leadership is positional, leadership is hierarchical, or leadership is, you know, earned, whatever it may be, man, we really fall short. Um, so that, that's something that I was fortunate, having, you know, I guess, experienced career ongoing business network marketing that has taught me all that um, because it really helped me fix a lot of the, the issues, the barriers that I had to my own leadership, which were insecurity. It was the, um, I think the biggest one that surprises people when I talk about this continually, when I talk about it is intensity. And my intensity has been probably will be the greatest barrier in my ability to lead people. Hmm. And that's an area where when I bring it up and when I talk to people about it and I, I, I think you would probably understand Mike, if I said this, that I can be a pretty intense person and you know, most people get that. And so when I'm saying that that's been my greatest barrier, they're like, wait a second, like, well, what? Like intensity is what we need in business. And, you know, going back to Kobe, right? Cause I look at him and it's like, dude was intense. That was his greatest barrier in his ability to lead others. His intensity, his, I am going to drive. I'm going to push myself through a wall. I'm going to prove people. That was for me. That's how I got through some of the hardest parts of my life so far was intensity. I'll just push, you know, put my head down and I will push. And what happens when you do that, and that can happen in your family, that can happen in your community, that can happen with friends, you just push them away. You absolutely push them away. You become a bulldozer and everyone is just carnage on the side of the road. Yeah, I want to pose something to you with that as it pertains to, and just get your opinion on something. The idea of intensity um, and also just maybe on a, like your greatest barrier, is there an op is there is it possible that that's also your greatest strength in the same notion? And and I, I think I think certain aspects, right, because without that intensity, you wouldn't have gotten to where you are today. And I think about a Jordan Peterson comment or quote that I heard of and says that everybody wants us to teach our our young men to be, you know, uh, to be soft and to be caring and to be, you know, just like, I, I mean, for lack of a better word, <laughs> be a pussy, <laughs> right? But he says, 
you should teach them to be monster. They should be a monster. They should be all out just I think of like I have three boys. I just a complete and total monster. But what we should teach them is how to harness that to how to have that all out. So I think of in in the realm of intensity to be as intense as possible, to be all crazy intense. But the gift is in learning how to pull back and when to be intense or when to be less intense. So is it possible? What are your thoughts on that kind of that framework? And then is it possible that your greatest barrier or your greatest weakness could also in turn be your greatest strength? Because, you know, you hear the you hear in the church sometimes is let your mess be your message, you know? Yeah. So I think about that in that term is it what what's your take on that? I'm I'm curious. And if you totally disagree with that, I yeah, open no, I openly <laughs> invite that there, as well. Yeah, the first off there is I absolutely believe any barrier that we can identify and start to, as I describe it, pull the bricks out of the wall, it can be used for good. Mm. But when we don't understand those barriers are there and we don't understand why people don't want to follow us, it's not doing any good. There, there's, to me, a, a major, I, I think there is this, I, I speak from a level that my, and here's where I want to describe it. Um, and I was had this conversation the other day. A lot of people don't understand the impact and the power they have when they walk in a room. Meaning, somebody walks in the room and say they're they're rather guarded. You know, they're 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 sheepish. Their their shoulders are slumped low. They kind of put their head down. Body language says that they are very insecure. Mm. Right? That's what the body language says. Our brain is reading that whether we realize it or not, and that's true. That's how they. You know, that is an image of how they carry themselves. A lot of intense people walk in the room and they are, I am king asshole, don't even get close to me. And yet that's what a certain part of our society says, well, that's what you need to do. Yeah. And the problem is, is they're bulldozing through anything and anyone around them. And think about that, that person, that was me. And I did so, and let me share this story why I did that. Because I think it's important for me to share this so you can appreciate my perspective. When I was 14, um, I grew up on a dairy farm in Ohio, Midwestern guy too. And I was 14, it was a summer day and we were getting ready to bale hay. And um, part of my job was making sure that the wagons were ready, the tires were aired up, greased up, ready to go. In the process of doing that, I was trying to back the wagon into our shop and it was kind of up this little bit of a hill. And if you've ever backed up a wagon, even one of those little carts that you carry around your kid's stuff in with the, you know, the swivel in the front, it can be hard, right? It just, so I'm trying to do that with a, a truck. It's just not going. So I decided I'm going to loop around and, and try it again. And when I started to drive forward, I looked over to my left and there was this grass area that went from the driveway where I was at to our house, this backyard. And I see my younger brother out there. He was three and I wave at him. It was a gorgeous June summer day. And I proceed and I turn around. As I drove around, I looked down on the, the driveway where I just was, and there he is laying on the ground. And I had driven over. Um, he died. He was three. And that later, a little bit later, uh, again, I grew up on a dairy farm, and so we had cows. And a little bit later, I was talking to a sheriff. He was asking me what was going on. And he was sitting on the hood of his car, and I was not real big. I was you know, maybe at that point. 
five six five seven as a 14 almost 15 year old just i was not a big kid and i look at him and he's asking me questions and i'm like dude you can ask me all the questions you want but i'm gonna go in that barn and i'm gonna start milking those cows because they're not gonna do it on their own so you can come with me or we're done i was 14. Hmm. My brother had just died less than an hour before that. That was my intensity. That was the survival tool that I had. So when anything became difficult, that's what came out. If you know there was ever a moment where I was uncomfortable because my insecurity was overwhelming me, that intensity came out. I was a bulldozer and I pushed relationship after relationship after relationship away. And so when I hear you describe that our society needs harder people, my quick to that is no, we don't. We don't need to push people farther away. It's pushing people farther away because we're so insecure that we're not willing to throw our arms up and say, this is who I am. I'm cool with it. So the, the opposite of that, be so hard and callous and tough and monstrous that no one wants to get close to you. You know what happens? You live a very lonely life. You live a lonely life that no one wants to be in relationship with you because you've pushed them all away. In any moment they get close, your jagged, hard armor is cold and keeps them away. Hmm. No, you know what we need to instead? We need to be so confident and secure and appreciative in what we are and what we have then instead of being cold, like the, the classic, I love it. It's, you know, the wrestler pose. You know, you, you always see the picture of the wrestlers and, you know, they're you know, five to 97 pounds and they're, cauliflower there ear. And they're tough. It's like, dude, it's okay. Just stand there and say, I dare you to come at me. Just smile. I dare you to come at me. You can be the same person both ways, which is probably more intimidating. The kid who's there like, oh, I don't just watch me and he wins and he smiles and he wakes and he gets up and he shakes your hand and he's like, I just kicked your butt. Guess what? Two things happened. One, that person won and they walked away and their confidence grew. And the guy they just beat said, I kind of like that guy. Hmm. If, if he's, I, I want to be on his team because the guy that's, you know, cold and has that furrow brow and is just in, you know, so intense. That if you got beat and you're like, dude, that guy's dick. I don't want to be anywhere close to him. That was me. And so when I hear that in our society, that's what we need to create to fix our problems. Me again, cutting in here and just wanted to remind you that if you haven't already done so, go over to UYEClarityTool.com and pick up your free copy of our brand new Clarity Tool exclusively for Unlock Your Excellence podcast listeners. While you're there, you can also register for one of our free bi-weekly masterminds where we dive deep into this four-part framework where you will be surrounded with other hard-charging, entrepreneurial-minded people who are on a common pursuit of excellence like yourself. Again, head on over to UYEClarityTool.com and we'll see you there. Quite the opposite. Yeah. Those are the people that are the most insecure that are using that as a crutch because they're so afraid to acknowledge and appreciate who they really are. Mm.
And that's where the barriers of insecurity and intensity and insensitivity overwhelm leadership. Because we use that as a, oh, that's what we should be. Hey, arm up. Make sure you, you have all the adornment of, of the armor that you need. No, hey, I'm, I grew up on a farm, man. I have knives. I have guns. I know how to use them. I hunt, whatever. But I don't need to walk around brandishing it. If somebody wants it, great, take it. Like, whatever. Um, it, it's not important to me. You know what's important to me? My family. It's like, I, I'll protect them but I don't need to show off my artillery to protect them. I just need to be discerning and say, eh, let's not go there. Be strong enough to say, eh, you know what? Let's just go a different pathway and not be this callous, hard, hearted person. I want to share this. One second. Hold on one second. So what's interesting from that whole diatribe, right? I, I just went off. I didn't mean to go off, but it's something that, probably haven't shared a lot that it really frustrates me. And when I see certain characters that are like, Oh, I'm so, you know, caring or whatever. And the next picture, they look like a f absolute prick and their eyes are like, I'm going to burn holes in the back of your head. No one wants to be around that guy. And that's not who you should model. Yeah. It isn't that does more harm than good. And it was, I, I was just writing my, my newsletter for my latest podcast. Um, I, I got to interview Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCullough. Great dude. And uh, one of the questions I asked him is like, Oakland, when did emotional intelligence become such a big deal in the military? And he goes, oh, you know, well, for me, it was probably early 90s, mid 90s. Mm. I was like, hmm, very interesting. Because our world just now is, is trying to tap into emotional intelligence. We ran it, right. Daniel Goleman for years. But now all of a sudden our society is like, oh, emotional intelligence. So I'm writing this letter. I'm sitting at a local coffee shop, but this gentleman sits down beside me. We just start a conversation, find out he was an army medic. And I said, names happen to be Tyler too. I said, Tyler, this is what I just wrote about. And he goes, Oh, absolutely. I will not serve with anyone that doesn't have that mentality. And you know what the mentality was before anything else? And he said it was like, and, and I didn't even need to like cue him up. He said, I would not serve with anyone. I would not go into battle if this person didn't. You know what? It wasn't being tough. It wasn't being hard. It wasn't being aggressive. It was caring. He said, I will not go into battle with someone that does not care. Hmm. They don't care for me. I'm not even going to get off the plane. And the number one thing that um, Lieutenant Colonel McCullough shared with me when he took over the South Alabama um, uh, ROTC program, and, and it was a program, they had 15 cadets and they wanted to grow it. And like, that was like a, a quarter of what they needed in the, in the program. And in three years, he had 150 people hmm. and he did one thing, one thing he cared. It's all he did. It's all he did. Now, there was other things too. past that, but he said the first thing, an absolute, the biggest thing is they cared. And this is what I've realized. It's really, really hard to care for others when you're so bound up in armor. Can't do it. When intensity is your armor, it's hard to care for people. When insecurity is your armor, it's hard for 
care for people. When insensitivity is your armor, it's hard to care for people. When inactivity, meaning I'm just not going to have the conversation. I'm not going to put myself in that place. I'm not going to have to do that. It's hard to care for people. And, and so, you know, through all of this and, you know, this idea of who do we need to be? You know what? We need to be strong people that are strong in our, you know, beliefs, whatever that, that driver is and appreciate how we're made and what we're made for and know that, you know what? That's what's most important. And this idea that I need to protect myself at all costs to go back to your comment about our greatest strengths can beat our greatest weakness. Absolutely. My intensity can be a great strength, but it's when it's done with a smile and happiness right. and passion and encouragement. Absolutely. I mean, that goes long ways, but not when it comes at the expense of caring. That reminds me of this caring. I equate caring and love very similar, right? And I heard um, it, probably a, a military reference also, right? Because you fight the enemy, not because you hate the enemy so much, but because you love the brother right next to you more. And Absolutely. same thing when you protect, you know, I think of somebody breaking into my house, like good luck to that person. I'm not going after that person because I hate them so much because I don't even know them. I am protecting my family because I love them and care for them so much. So that's the, that's the frame there. And, um, just care at all costs, you love know, at all costs. Here's one of the things. And, and again, it's never happened to me. I, I can sit here on a, on a real cushy chair and say that this is how I would handle it. But I also believe this, the mindset that you have before a situation and if you condition yourself to that mindset has a greater chance of coming out than not mm. and again i've never had anyone you know steal my stuff try to break into my house but i, I tell my friends this if they did i'd say where's your truck do you need help loading it just leave my family you can have whatever you want. Have whatever. I, it doesn't matter. Just, just take it. And I think it would. And as I, again, this is very tongue in cheek, right? I'm trying to make this a little bit conversational, laughable. I would think if, if you know, you were breaking into my house and I and you came in and you have, you know, threatened me and you're gonna grab me and it's like, well, dude, what do you want? Well, I'm here to steal it. Okay. Well, where's your truck? I'll help you load it. It's okay. I have insurance, so it can be replaced. Like, it's all good. Like, go for it. You know what? I, I, I'll give you an hour's head start. I won't even call. Like, just, just like, what do you, oh, you want the TV off the, off the, hey, let me go get the, um, you know, the impact drill. So we just take it right off the wall. Because you, you probably need a, you know, a, a, a you need a mount. Too. You it's need a mount okay. for it. Yes. <laughs> you need a mount. Like, it's okay. And I think when you can detach yourself from your possessions mm. and vigilantly think, this is what I need to protect, like, yeah. If it came, for example, again, I never served in the military, but I have some friends that do, and I'd love to ask them this question. If it came down to, it's like, hey, would you lose a multi, multi-million dollar Apache helicopter to save the guy beside you? I don't think they would even question it. Yeah. Now, did they pay for the Apache helicopter? Well, in one way, shape, or form, they did because they pay taxes too. 
but yet it wasn't like I went out and bought this possession. I'm going to hold on to this computer that we're talking on. But I also understand it's like the person is more important than that possession. Right. And a lot of like, you know, when you come into those, again, hurting people, it's like they, they hurt people because they're not getting their way. It's like, oh, it's just, I'll give it to you. But I, I think that that protective mannerism, when you can diffuse that, this is why I think it's important. When you diffuse that, everyone that follows you appreciates differently. Meaning, oh, I get it. I'm more important than these other things. Hmm. And I think from a leadership perspective, we often get caught thinking, and this has happened in, in so many organizations in the last two years, the profits are more hmm. important than the person. So whoever came in to rob the organization, the leader is standing there and say, don't take away my product because then I can't get profits. They're like, take all the people. I, you know, I can go get more people. Yeah. And so now everyone in a workplace feels like I'm not safe. They don't care about me. They just want me to show up, sit in an office from eight to five and check the box because that's what's important. And that's why so many people are like, I'm out. I am out. You don't care about me. You've just shown it. You care about your agenda. You care about your promotion. You care about everything else but me. And again, I, I just put that together with my own, you know, family, somebody breaking in, but it's like, it's the same thing, dude. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, it, and kind of pivoting that to like leadership at home a little bit. I listening to Roman talk on his podcast, he talks about this uh, idea of psychological safety. He brought that up and, and psychological safety as it pertains to um, at home with your kids. And I think you're what you, the reference you just made with people over profits and people that, you know, like you're at, at the in the workplace, they can feel when a leader is focused on profits over people that feels that feels bad, right? Leading at home, you're a, you're a guy that, you know, you got three kids, you coach them, right? And you lead people externally. How do you, how do you ensure to maintain that psychological safety so that your kids know that they're cared for, loved for unconditionally, no matter what? And I ask this question from a place of struggle at times myself. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't have this all figured out, but it's very easy going back to the quote about you should be a hero within your own four walls. It's also very easy to be quick to snap. And, and I should say from my experience, and I don't know why for sure, but my hunch is they're stuck with me, right? To an, to an extent that I'm their dad. So at times I can subconsciously abuse that if I snap or if I yell or whatever, right? Where if I'm at work and I have an employee, like I wouldn't be caught dead yelling and screaming at them. But if you put a camera in my house sometimes, 
the Mike Higgins that you see right here, uh, I would be canceled. I would be canceled, did, right? Did, did did I did I miss saying that I'm a little intense? Did, <laughs> right. Did you, did you well, and the, and that's why I asked this question about psychological safety and how you how you practice that because I know it's not perfect. Going back to mastery and excellence, it's never going to be perfect, but it's it's on the radar for you. So how how do you screw it up and then how do you fix it how do you focus on on that lead because it's a leadership muscle at home so dive into that for a minute for me um so the the i think the the best answer came to me as you as you were finishing up there and I, i don't know who shared this with me but it's been you know enough mentors have touched on it at times apologize mm in the worst of your moments, be secure enough and humble enough to go and ask for forgiveness. I, and, and, and when that was first shared with me and understood, and I think there's a, an element of generation, like it, it, it's really interesting as we get older, I'm 43, I know, you know, you know, close. And it's like, as we go through things and we see not only we're aging, in, and we're now the age of what we remember our parents being. But then we're also looking at it's like, oh, the world's a little different. And, you know, I thought about that the other day. It was kind of like, all right, how was my dad compared to my grandfather and my grandfather at that time? And like where I'm at now. And like, I never remember growing up. And my dad's an intense person. My dad's a college football player that was a, you know, starting middle linebacker and offensive guard as a freshman. And he was five, seven, 180 pounds. You think that's an intense dude, like built like a spark plug, intense guy. Okay. I get it naturally. Okay. Um, but I don't remember him apologizing. Hmm. Do I hold it against him now? Absolutely not. Like my dad has gotten much softer as he gotten older and, and almost to a point where it's like, come on, dude, like, toughen up a little bit here, be a little bit harder, a little bit more cal just, and yet when I think of the number of times that I ask my kids for forgiveness and it's like, yeah, I shouldn't have yelled at you. Mm. Yeah. I handled that wrong. Yeah. I screwed that one up. I'm sorry. And this is what I learned from that. They are sometimes most of the time, very quick to forgive. Very. It's almost, I always think of this like, it's an awful comparison. I might get canceled for this, but it's like a, it's like a dog, like a puppy dog, right? Like hundred percent there. Yeah. It's literally like, be loved. Th- really for sure. And they're like, Oh, it's okay, dad. Yep. It's fine. Like, I'm good. I'm like, how yeah. you but shouldn't be good. You should be mad at me. <laughs> exactly. There, there's also understanding. And this is where, you know, it, to me, the, the biggest Uh, I don't want to say the biggest problem, but the biggest opportunity in our society today, and this is everywhere in society, whether it's coaching, you know, your youth basketball team to, um, you know, wherever you work to our society as a whole, psychological safety is our number one thing to attend to. Hmm. And, And I was talking to another one of my podcast guests kind of like to you i you know i love it because i get to learn i get to tap into people that i get to have hour plus long conversations with and just learn like dude where can you do that and i it it hit me because i i saw this happen with my daughter this fall on her soccer team um their coach was a yeller and a screamer and an attacker 
Because there's a difference between, I think, yelling and attacking. Mm-hmm. And he was an attacker. He's an attacker. Meaning um, you make a mistake and he just attacks. He doesn't yell to correct. He doesn't yell to coach up. He yells to attack. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I realized very quick is the body language, going back to what we talked about earlier, of those girls. Again, high school girls. And just how scared and defeated and like, just like they were afraid if they did anything, they were going to get shocked. And when I was doing this interview, um, I, it hit me. Oh, it's just like the monkeys. So I don't know if you know the story, the adage, uh, there was an experiment done where they took five monkeys, sometimes told four. I read somewhere, I read once five, they put five monkeys into a room in a cage. In the middle of the cage, there was a pole. At the top of the pole, there was a bunch of bananas. And um, so what they did then is, is if a monkey tried to go up the pole to grab a banana, they, sho- they soaked everyone with water. Mm. The next monkey goes up, all five of them get shot with water. Uh, eventually, you know, they keep shooting with water. They like, if a if monkey goes to climb up the pole, they grab and pull them down. No one gets shocked. Well, so then they take one monkey out. They put in a new monkey. The new monkey looks around. It's like, I see those bananas. It goes, climbs up the pole. Every other monkey grabs it, pulls it down. Eventually all five monkeys are replaced. No monkeys have gotten shot with water yet. None of the monkeys will climb the pole. Hmm. That's what's going on. That's what's going on in our society because maybe Mike, you didn't walk into an office and you were told you're here, you're working here. I don't care what's going on with your family, but you're working here. Or maybe, you know, you weren't the player on the court who got screamed at for missing the layup, a wide open layup. You were, you know, just down, you just got the rebound, you outletted it, you're behind it, but then you see the kid get screamed at for not making a layup. You know what happens the next time you go to make a layup? You're freaking out because you don't want to get screamed at. Yeah. You never did it. And, and that's what's going on. And, and we're all monkeys in our society right now. And the only way to fix that is to give monkeys the bananas and let them climb up the pole and get the bananas and never shoot them with water. And that's what needs to happen. It can't just be like, oh, okay, yes, I get it. Everyone's scared. We'll no longer shoot water at people. The damage is already done. It's already been done. And so the only way to walk back on that is not to say, oh, I won't shoot you with water anymore. I won't yell at you anymore as a coach. I won't, you know, make this circumstance. I have to almost go to the overwhelming extent to, you know, give those bananas out, to like give those accolades and say, I'm a changed person. I'm a transformed person. Um, it, It was pretty stark when I realized that. Yeah, and if somebody wants to ensure that they're going to make the mistake, like the layup example, right? Focus on not missing the layup, and you're guaranteed to miss the layup. Almost, right? I think about, <laughs> yeah, like, 100%. you ever watch those? You, I, I used to mountain bike a little bit, and okay, it was always what, why taught, did you used to? What's that? Well, we don't why have any mountains in Wisconsin, so it became it was like hill biking. Oh, but you got some hills. It was okay. it was a it was a kind of an exercise pastime for me, and what it came down to okay. is I could get 
it took a lot longer to bike to get the the yeah. exercise that I wanted versus I could just go out and do a quick intense workout okay. time thing. Okay. Right? All right. I love it. I thought there was maybe like a good story there, Mike. Like well, I used to be a there was a biker, there was an accident. There was, there was there was a there was an accident. There was I actually flipped over the handlebars bars once, but it was taught to me that when you're biking in mountain biking, you know, like through the woods on these tight trails, uh-huh. single track trails. I was told never, never look, only look where you want your bike tire to go. Right. And we've seen those, we've seen those crazy, uh, YouTube videos where these guys are riding their bikes on a high mountain on a sliver of a, that it seems like only their bike tire will fit on it. You think they're focused over the edge on either side? No, they're focused exactly where their bike tire is going. So that's kind of what you're saying here too, is like, yeah, it's those people that come to that situation, you're as the leader, when you're in that attack mode, like that coach is, you're setting them up for failure. They're never going to have success because all that they can think about is what they don't want, what they shouldn't be doing. And as I'm saying this now, another reason why I love these podcasts is like, I do that at home as a dad, I'll sometimes focus on what I don't want my kid to do. And then I'll continue to attack that thing that he's doing, which then ensures that he's going to screw up and do that thing because that's all that he's focused on. Right? Yeah. Well, and here's what I I, I don't think can be missed. And this is, again, it's taken out of context. Is that doesn't mean there's not accountability. Oh, we need tremendous amount of accountability. Correct. You need to have those guardrails. You need to say, this is not acceptable. But then have the heart to say, it's okay. We all do that. We all make mistakes. This is the lane that we need to operate in. Here are the guardrails. Those guardrails have consequences. They are hard and fast. Um, I, I love sharing you know, different things that kind of connect with this. Um, I was at an event and got to listen to Admiral McRaven. And Admiral McRaven was talking about an instance when uh, Gerald, uh, is it Gerald? Yes, Gerald McRaven, McRaven. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was sharing how when he was, I think he was a, um, I think it was when he was a general, maybe it was when he was a Lieutenant Colonel. Um, he had a guy that got in a fight in Japan and he was a senior officer and it was like wildly unacceptable that this guy would get in a fight. And the guy walks in the next day and the report is given that he got in a fight. McRaven had never heard about it. He gets the report from this senior officer reporting himself. And he looks at it and he's like, okay, what, you know, what, what happened? He told him the story. He goes, I hit a guy I shouldn't have. It was my mistake. And, um, it was a dischargeable offense. It was something pretty egregious. And, uh, the guy had, had served a long time and you could just, it, it McRaven describes this. The guy is just overwhelmed, like is beating himself up, tearing himself up and not like, how could he do this? McGraven said he takes the report and just tears it up, throws it away. Mm. And the guy looks at him and is like, like, I know the rules. Like, I got to hold my guys accountable to this rule. And he goes, yeah, you did. You told me. But you're beating yourself up now worse than anything I could do. Yeah. You're paying the punishment. You understand what's required. And, you know, he went on to say that the guy ended up you know, promoting and just becoming a never had a misstep, but also, and this is one of the greatest things that I think he he shared there, that amount of grace 
Mm. bestowed upon him as a leader that he needs to have grace with his people too. Yeah. And if you don't extend grace, meaning if you, you know, as a parent, if I don't extend grace and you know, if my kids grow up, if I don't extend grace, why would I ever expect them to give me grace when I ask for forgiveness? And it, it has to be, you know, weighed and, and there is no hierarchy there. If we need to extend grace, so we're giving grace. As a person of, you know, Christian faith, I know that I was given grace and I need appreciate and accept that. And if I'm not actively giving others grace, man, I'm the problem. Yeah, man, that's good. And then, I mean, just think about that grace that 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 general or soldier is given and extended when he moves up the ranks. Yeah, it's the butterfly effect, right? It's the ripple effect. It's 100%. gonna you're in, making an impact that impacts future generations for sure. Man, I love this conversation. And as we kind of start to land this plane, as we're up against our time, I want to just touch quickly kind of on people have been listening to you share stories and, and all this wisdom. I want to tap just into the, the daily practices of somebody like you. I was listening to some of your podcasts and you were talking about reading, you know, books are a huge part of your life. You have the round table, you have the impact driven leader round table where you have essentially a book club that you have a, yep. you know, a mastermind that goes through a book and, and studies it. You talk about visiting uh, books that you revisit every year. So a couple part question would be, what are, what are your maybe top three staple books um, all time? What are some books that you revisit every year? And then if time allows, I just want to dive into a, a quick, you don't have to give too, too much, but a quick daily practice of like what your, you know, you, your eyes open, what happens in that first hour of your day? Yeah, um, uh, I'll go through it that way. So uh, wake up every day, I drink 25 ounces of water. Um, Isogenics, a company that we work with has a adaptogen energy shot, have that because adaptogens, I think are imperative to handling stress and setting your mind right. Uh, I also drink a little collagen bone broth. I'm getting older. It's good for you. And then I sit down and I read um, from four daily reader books. I'm right now reading a, a book. Uh, it's called The Daily Laws by Robert Greene. Uh, I'm reading uh, Dare to be Uncommon, I believe is the name of it, by Tony Dungy. Uh, mm. Maxwell da Daily Reader by John Maxwell. And then uh, the uh, Daily Drucker, Peter Drucker. Uh, so read those. I also listen uh, to the uh, Darren Daily from Darren Hardy. Totally little different perspective. Uh, and then I also spend uh, doing devotions. I, I read from Proverbs. Um, I tend to do maybe a different uh, kind of more personal leadership, whatever-esque devotion as well with a group of people. So that's my everyday. That takes me, if I'm really humming and I'm not distracted, I can get that done in an hour. Well, that's somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half. That is every day and has been for a couple of years now. Uh, I just looked at it. I think uh, I'm on uh, day 1133 in a row of Proverbs. Uh, I missed one day in October of 2019. Other than that, I would be right at about four and a half years mm. uh, every single day. And I've learned so much wisdom from Proverbs. And what I love about it, and I saw this 
And I forget which one of those four daily readers, but it came and I think it was from uh, Robert Greene. If you don't know who Robert Greene is, Robert um, really kind of was the mentor and trainer of Ryan Holiday. So everything that Ryan Holiday, he's, you know, Ryan worked with him for a long time and he has some great books and just totally is he the 48 laws of power guy. Exactly. Yep, okay. That's it. And, um, it, he, the comment was the age of information you consume directly, um, affects your perspective. And so here I am, I'm reading information. I, I'm reading words that were written by Solomon thousands of years ago. I, I'm reading words that Peter Drucker wrote in the mid you know, 20th century. You know, I'm reading words from, you know, wisdom from, you know, John Maxwell and Tony Dungy and, and Robert Greene. It's like, I'm not reading, you know, yes, I look at the news, but then I'm not focused. I am not worried about that. And I think about people in my life that I know they're not reading like that. And they're just focused on what's happening right now. And what's pretty amazing is how um, present focused they are at the detriment of understanding, well, we're going through the same thing, just a little different. And that brings me to one of the books that I, I try to read every year. I don't know if I'm going to read it this year. I probably will because the timing is pretty substantial. Think and Grow Rich mm. by Napoleon Hill. And, and that was written post-depression. And what was very unique about it, there's a segment in there where he talks about this new media, this absolute brand new media uh, tool, and they're trying to figure out how it works, and it's just kind of really wild, and it's totally different, and it was radio. And the parallels between radio and social media are stark. Mm. It's just unbelievable because it was newsprint before that, and now they're into radio. Now they're into this whole new, and it was kind of the wild west of it. Um, those perspectives I think are great. Um, how to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie has been really important to me because that was the first leadership and personal growth book I ever read. And really the foundational cornerstone of all things that I've learned from there. So that's great. Sorry. I just had to. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's wonderful. Um, and then, you know, those are the things that I, I would say really were my major focuses in, in spending the time. Uh, one of the other things, I just got done reading um, a book called My Daily Leadership by uh, Antonio Garrido. And Antonio was a guest on my podcast. And he made this comment, um, the best leaders, journal. And I thought long and hard about that and realized, I hate journaling. Mm. I failed my freshman uh, high school English class my first six week, nine weeks because I refused to journal. But I have a notebook. Like I have a notebook here that's, you know, and I have several of them. I write down a lot of notes. Um, but that is something that I've started to do the last month and a half, two months is journal. Yeah. And I, I want to finish with this because I think it's, it's very important. Um, hopefully we can have time for that. I mean, you're the host. You can do whatever you want. I mean, whatever. But um, we, we talked about one of, you know, we talked about intensity. We talked about those things. We talked about parenting. Um, and I didn't go through my definition of empathy. My definition of empathy is putting your arms around someone and walking with them. You can't have armor on. You can't be guarded if you're not willing to put your arms around someone and walk with them. In, in a lot of areas of my life, empathy is really easy. There's one area where the other day it popped up and it was really, really, really hard. 
And you made the comment about, you know, this idea of, you know, your kids and wanting to correct and just this like frustration. And um, there was a moment that I had that I was pretty frustrated. And I, I wanted to detach from it. And um, I'll share it for this context. My, I was working out. My wife came out in the garage and she said, somebody stole my wedding rings. And she was just upset. And I, I wanted to be like, that's what you get. That's what you get for leaving it out. That's what you get for just not taking care of them. You know, you just, you don't respect the things. And so those are all my thoughts. I'm like, yeah, that won't go well. Yeah, that really shouldn't go well. And so I give myself some time and I didn't interact with her. I'm like, Tyler, that isn't what she needs. She just needs you to give her a hug and say, well, let's figure it out. Somebody stole them. Because uh, we had had some delivery people in our house the day before. She thought they stole them, which my think is, why do you always think people steal your stuff? And uh, so all those thoughts. And I'm like, I wanted to kind of touch on both of those. And I realized, no, I just need to hug her. I just need to say, we'll figure this out. And then I'm thinking, all right, do I need to call the delivery company, whatever? We get a call um, about two hours after that from the lady who cleans her house. And or she called Kelly, my wife. And said, hey, I found your wedding rings. They were in the basement. Well, my wife had gotten a massage the day before. And so she took off her rings and, and left them there. And I, I realized, had I lashed out at her, had I not been empathetic and just say, we'll figure this out. And one, what kind of hypocrite I am because I believe empathy is a solution. Two, I realized, oh, that's an area where I struggle to be empathetic. And um, I think that's an important understanding. There's areas where we do, and sometimes those are areas closest to us, but those are areas where it's needed the most. That's awesome. That's good. I, oh, I could name 37 stories on where I exercised and I went down the path that you did not go down that day, and I screwed it up completely. I probably have two for every one, uh, but I, it's not a it's not a, a, a contest here, all right, Mike. It's not something I'm trying to win, but uh, uh, I know and I, I'm learning. See, that's where you just uh, I'm working towards. I can't say I'm excellent. I'm working towards it, and maybe someday I'll hit the mastery uh, level. But that's awesome. Well, as we wrap this thing up, man. I appreciate you being here. I'm kept you longer than I should. And I know that we're going to chop it up and do it again because, uh, man, this is just so much fun. I appreciate you. Impact Driven Leader Podcast, uh, dot com, right? That's a dot com. And then tylerdickerhoof.com. Where else can people Correct. find you on the social medias that we can tag to? Yeah. Uh, you're active on Instagram, Facebook. You're, you're everywhere. I linked in. I see you everywhere. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I do. One of the things, so, you know, have the podcast, uh, release an episode every week, um, have the round table where, you know, uh, bring people into that, you know, a couple times a year. Uh, it's a, a six month to year long program. Uh, but then as well, one of the things I've done, um, that I like to do is, is share a little bit from what I'm reading each day. So I do a segment called coffee chat. Uh, I throw that up on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. So, uh, you subscribe to YouTube, you have all that stuff there or connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, as you mentioned, um, where I just try to share a little bit of what I'm going through, learning through each day. So, well, yeah. I appreciate that, man. And one thing that I've learned today, I always like to reflect on these and kind of just just that intensity piece that you talked about a little bit ago and kind of peeling that back a little bit. And then empathy, man. Your your definition of empathy was really good. 
and I find myself, like I said before, in the wrong place on that story at times. But uh, it's conversations like these that make me better, and I know that it makes our audience a lot better to be able to have that insight because my goal and my hope is to take somebody who's practicing this excellence and somebody who wants to practice this excellence, and this podcast serves as a bridge for those people. So the fact that you're here today and being that bridge for everybody, I really appreciate that, and I can't wait till we do this again, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate you being willing to do this and serve people. And, and really, as you mentioned, it, it, as I believe this too, in my podcast, it's like a little selfish because I, I want to learn and grow and have the conversations and I want to get better. But I also understand, hey, there's a lot of people that want to go on that journey in different spots too. So let's all do it together. And um, my belief is when you do it together, everyone gets better. That's it. That's it. That's a perfect place to end, man. Well, thanks again. And until next time, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the Unlock Your Excellence podcast. Thanks, everyone.